Three, two, one. Let's, Let's go! go! Oh, yes! Yeah. Right. I am the host of the PBE podcast, and my co-host is not joining us. He's in Montana, but he's in a snowstorm, and he could not make the show. But Katie Fry did make the show, and I absolutely enjoyed this. Miss Katie, what happened in this show? What really dropped out for you? And and it's, uh, let's get your take on this show. Hey, we talked about you know, background being a corporate geologist from California. We talked about, you know, it's a little bit of California geology and that their oil patch history, which is a little bit under the table, but I thought that was pretty fun. We talk about some dinosaurs or some other Pleistocene mammals next time. Uh, we talked about University of Texas at Austin. We talked about careers in petroleum geology and then how much we need to train this next generation about earth science, how much they need to learn about the earth around them and how they're going to be able to learn it better, know the science so they can utilize it safely and efficiently to make it the best life that they can live because we've only got one earth. So we got to do it right. <laughs> right on. Yeah. You've become a professor, your motivation to become a professor. Yeah. 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 Teaching people about the world. I teach my musician friends all the time about rocks. They enjoy it generally. <laughs> Well, right on. I can't wait to produce this show. I'm very excited to get this information out there and, and to share these experiences and this perspective with you and really get to a better idea of what you're up to. And I am without question a fan of Katie Fry. And I just appreciate your time. What dropped out for me is that you know, at the end of the day and the way that everything is moving for the future is that we got to do a really focused a job as a society to find people like Katie Fry to be the professors and to be a teacher. We need quality over quantity. We don't need bad business anymore. We need to create value. And you got to align people that have the talent, have the wants, have the need. And you have that. You, you've talked about that in the show, being it's just very unique in, as a TA and, and this ability to teach and this ability to to bring out the curiosity in people that's we got to find more of those people and we need to to feed you and we need them to find the career that you want so you can inspire a group of people uh, through geologic time and and that's what dropped out for me was that you're out there and there's more of you and there's and there's an opportunity to 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 just support that and that's what I'm in support of at the end of the day is the progression for good science to respect it and to appreciate it and to put it in concepts modern technology modern concept. I just loved it. I, I really enjoyed it. Yep. Making great science that every person can understand, not just the scientists, not just the people up at the top of the like scientific education food chain. We want everyone to understand the science and make it accessible. And that's what's great. Right on. Well, Miss Katie Fry. First of all, we appreciate you taking the time to sit down and hang out with the PBE crew as we're, we are missing skips, as we talked about earlier. But, but more importantly is obviously you are the guest of PBE Podcast today. And we absolutely love the idea of trying to get your perspective. And so what we want to do in the conception part of our shows is just totally revolved around you and your experience through undergrad, becoming a geologist. What motivated you into your young professional career? How did you get into Oxy as a geoscientist? That is incredibly competitive. You are already like a 3% of 
the uh, the total geologist, and and so that's fascinating to us, and and so we just want to get to know you, Katie. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So we'll start. Let's start with undergrad and start with the uh, upbringing, and we'll move kind of chronologically that direction. Yeah. So I started out in Los Angeles, and I went to university at Santa Barbara. Right. So university of California, Santa Barbara. Go right. Gauchos. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know anything about UCSB except the fact that Tanya Atwater is uh, is obviously a legend in tectonics and uh, and has a lot to say when it comes to West Coast geomorphology. She's got some cool animations that she's worked on. I knew that coming from CLU, so uh, California Lutheran in Thousand Oaks. I was learning. Mm -hmm. Bilodeau is extension of Dr. Dickinson, drug us through the burning coals of undergrad, <laughs> and we made it through that. So you were just up the 101 from us. Yep, just up the 101. Beautiful up there, right? The, it's right on the coast, and it's actually an old place to see in Size Valley. So the campus sits on a lagoon, which was in size during the last ice age. Right on. It's a lot of fossils in the outcrops around the area, huh? Yep, lots of marine fossils. They're within the terrace and the bluffs that are actively eroding. So you can see the old paleo kind of um, paleosols that are sitting up there where the grass used to be. We had a little shore face area and now it's actively uplifting. Wow, 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 wow. I love that area that you're absolutely spot on. So why did you choose UCSB? Did you? Okay, so I had a few different decisions from California, I was like, I want to pick a college that's in state because it should be cheaper. Wrong. <laughs> Note number one, that's wrong. Um, lots of student loan debt from that. That's why also why I get involved with students now to be like, let's talk about your future and what you care about. <laughs> that's so awesome, that's huge. We'll get into that in the drill down, but that is so good, so huge. Yeah, and so that's, yep, yeah, that'll be for later. So. Uh, Santa Barbara was a choice because it was about two hours from my hometown, so it was far enough to be away, but then close enough to, you know, do laundry every few weeks. Let me guess what your hometown is. I'm going to guess. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to Thousand Oaks. I'm not going to West. I'm not going that way. I'm going north, I think. I'm going maybe like Pismo or San Luis Obispo. Bakersfield. Are we going inland? Do I need to go I'm going to give you trivia. Oh, snap. It already begins. It already begins. So it's the site of the longest producer, oil producer on the West Coast. Oh, man. Is that Wheeler Ridge or something? That, it's, is that not towards Kern County? It's the Pico Canyon number four on the Pico Canyon anticline. Is that offshore? Nope. Oh, son of a bitch. <laughs> Sorry. Excuse my language. I was going to be like, can I cuss? Should I not cuss? Do, I, do we have rules? Ah. Are you in L.A. County? Yes, I'm in L.A. County. Oh, it's Brea. La Brea. It's near Brea. It's near the tar pits in some way. Nope. Where is this well? It's where the 5 and the 14 split. What? No way. I lived. I grew up in Palmdale off the 14. Yeah. Santa Clarita. <laughs> Santa Clarita. Yeah, the freaking bend in the San Andreas Fault right through there. Mm-hmm. Tell me a fun fact about that well. So it was one of the longest producers on the West Coast. It was only PA'd a couple years ago. I want to say it was an old Chevron well um, or whatever Chevron was in the early 20th century. Oil company. <laughs> yeah. 
all of those different legacy M&As down the line. Um, and I think Marathon has some of the fields out there now. Wow. How interesting. Great hike when you go out there sometime. It's great because as you go up the road, there's a bunch of the old punch jacks and the old derricks from when they drilled the wells out there. And so you can see it's clearly conventional. It's probably alluvial plain, like intermittent water runoff, mixed grain size. So permeable, porous, but a little bit chunky. Um, and so as you wind up the road, you see the big cables from the big spinning wheels that would keep the pump jacks going. And then you have to guess its structure. So it's great because by the time you get to the, it's actually the end of the paved hike, you see this gorgeous anticline just sitting right there. They're right on the flank. Wow. Yep. They saw it and then they drilled it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> wow, it's underneath this and it's probably trapping a bunch of oil. Let's drill that thing. Wow. How long did it produce for? Ooh, I don't know. It was close to a hundred years. Wow. 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 And that's it for me. You know, I'm going to just put my name on like four or five wells in my lifetime. And these wells are going to come on at like 400 barrels a day. They don't decline. <laughs> I'm just going to pass them down for a hundred years to my family until someone says, Hey, it's like, there's no more casing. <laughs> we got all kinds of problems. You just plug this thing. I'll say, okay. Here go. <laughs> Good luck. Man, but that that's such an amazing place geologically. California was just the coolest and is, in my opinion, the coolest. And I'm biased, but there are so many different areas and they look totally different than just an hour drive away and you're in a completely different area. I mean, it's it's so fascinating. It's so fascinating. That's so cool. So you grew up in Santa Clarita? Yep. No way. What's the uh, the community college there right off the uh, the five? And college of the Canyons. College of the Canyons. Oh, man. I had a bunch of people from high school because I grew up in Palmdale. So Palmdale High School, that's where, you know, incredibly competitive football. A lot of the stars that were like, wow, you're going to be like the next junior sale or something. They couldn't do school. So they ended up at College of the Canyons. <laughs> yeah, well, that's. So I took my first geology class at College of the Canyons because I was concurrently enrolled there while I was going to high school. I was one of those overachievers. Wow. Wow. And what does your professor kind of specialize in when you locked into geology in the College of the Canyons and you're surrounded by these mountains and these stories of oil and gas coming out of the rocks? What was it? What was your professor all about? Structure? So Petrology and mineralogy. So the the old crusty guy who worked at College of the Canyons was named Winston Wetke. I think he was like several centuries old. My dad had taken geology with him at some point. <laughs> no way. That is amazing. And yeah, he's a he, petrology guy. Mm -hmm. We had to learn for the lab course, maybe a hundred plus minerals and a hundred plus rocks. What about the formulas? Yes. Elemental formulas. Oh man, that was it. I told, I remember vividly going to my mineralogy professor and going, why do I need to know what hornblende is elementally? You're killing me. I got calc two. I got physics. I got everything else in my life. And you're pounding me with a hundred freaking elemental formulas. I, and then years later it comes back, right? When I teach mineralogy at UTPB, I'm going, Oh my gosh. In the final, I put a bunch of elemental freaking, uh, uh, makeup of the rocks and mineralogy on all those undergraduates. And I said, Oh, that's, this is cool. It is fun. It's fun to uh, push those buttons when you have the power and say, so you need to give me this formula. <laughs> 
I hear you. Wow. Okay, so cool. So he's a mantle petrology guy. That's cool. So igneous rocks. A lot yeah. of uh, a lot of strange things happening there. So what did he ever talk about uh, serpentinite or serpentosphere or ig like it, the the moho and this transition between the mantle rocks and our crust rocks? Did he ever really focus on that? We didn't get into it too deep because it was just like intro, like first and second level geology there. But, you know, we were encouraged not to lick the serpentinites. <laughs> it was like an asbestos thing that they were telling people about or something. With the just a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> you always lick the serpentinite. I'm going on record and saying you always lick this. <laughs> Makes you feel good. Like... <laughs> Oh man, that is cool. So there, there's your interaction with geology. That was the first time, or did your parents really set you up? I mean, you. When did when's the first time you picked up a rock? Oh yeah, tiny, tiny cave fry. It was a little, a little thing. But you know, my dad's a musician, and my mom's been working in the banking world. So neither of them are scientists, but they've always been interested and always pushed me to keep learning and keep trying new things. So me wanting to go to museums every year and all the time, they said, go for it. Wow. Great parents. Good job, mom and dad. Tease that curiosity and, 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 yep. and put some, put some oxygen on that flame. Let it burn. Cool. Right on. Okay. So you pick, start picking up rocks as a kid. You definitely have this affection for the rocks and you're in high school now taking college classes. Yep. At college of the Canyons. And you're saying, I, I want to know more about these rocks thing. I want to do this rock thing. Yeah. And so I, I was passionate. I loved it. I like aced those classes. I knew all those rocks except for one. There was one that I didn't know. And I remember I looked at it and it, it was a trap. I'll give you that ahead of time. You have to look at all the hand samples. And one of the biggest things, and actually in this fluvial classics, had like fluvial deltaic modern classics course I was teaching last week. You need to describe before you interpret. It's so crucial. It's like tantamount to being able to move past it, right? You have to describe it. And one of the tricks for describing a rock or minerals, you need to pick it up, right? You need to understand that specific gravity. You need to know the weight. Okay. So I pick up this rock and I have a box of rocks over here. I'm like, I can pick one up for you now. Um, <laughs> pick it up. It was a fake rock. It was what? made of foam. It was like one of those squeezy ones. <laughs> I screamed and threw it across the room because I was like, there is no way diorite weighs that. <laughs> <laughs> wow, it looked like a piece of granite or something, and it, it was completely light, squishy. Mm -hmm. uh, so what was the answer on the test? This is a foam rock. Yeah, fake rock. Basically, he was checking to see if you were actually doing your identification of picking it up, checking the specific gravity, under feeling it, looking for the surfaces. Wow. Wow. I passed it, but I uh, I gave it away for the rest of the class because I threw it. So, <laughs> wow. Okay, so you get out of high school, which I have not met a lot of people that have figured out geology at the high school level. I work with Stan Keith at the Magma Kim Research Institute. He figured it out kind of like you, six years old or even earlier, just classifying rocks and picked up this idea that wait a minute, rocks are the coolest thing that's ever existed. I didn't get to discover that until I was like twenty two even as a long story, but I've fallen in love and it's that physical world. It's that connection. It's that picking up the rock and you get to describe this rock. You get to put the story to the rock. It's uh, it's fascinating. It's really, really cool. So you had that at high school, you're transitioning into college 
and you have an option. You can go to whatever school you want to. You thought California schools, so I can you know, save money, <laughs> which we, we can come back to. But what about Stanford? I mean, that was the, that's the bee's knees of geology in California. And you have these other schools around the country. UCSB, that pointed out to you specifically because? You know, I did a couple highs and lows. Santa Barbara had a great location and I liked the programs that it offered. But when I was actually evaluating colleges, I wasn't looking for geology majors. I was looking for music programs and archaeology programs. Wow. What the heck? Okay, so US, UCSB has good mu music, archaeology, and geology. Yes. Fun fact. Fun fact. Yeah, so I, it took me one quarter. They're on quarter system there. Highly recommend. Semesters are awful, long, terrible things. Everyone should do quarter system. Uh, it keeps you busy and keeps you focused. Doesn't let you slack off. <laughs> I, could, I, could, I, I get that. Mm -hmm. So uh, I took one quarter of some of those like soft classes and I was like, man, I don't like people that much. <laughs> I want to do science that has rocks. <laughs> <laughs> I totally understand that. I said, hey, I don't want to deal with people. I wanted to be a doctor of osteopathy, do spinal manipulation and prescribe medicine. And I'm going, man, I want to work with people every single day. And you got to say, hey, you got to go home and like, you know, do these things at home too, not just here. Uh-uh. I really, my, my reputation on someone that's going home and just who knows what they do. They're not listening to me. They don't get better. And that's on me. I don't like the sound of that. I like rocks. <laughs> These, there's not a lot of people going in that. And that's exactly, I was said, oh, you know what? Like, this is cool. We we're talking about Pompeii at some point. And I was like, I don't really care about all the dead people. I care about the pyroclastic flow. <laughs> so I switched my major. <laughs> wow. Okay. So UCSB, you're in it. You're an undergrad. You have all these things pulling in every direction. The true experience of going to college, the reality that it is up to you to figure out what you're going to do from here and you make those connections and you know, you, you're experiencing the undergrad, graduate and, and college experience. You're at a dorm and it's up to you. When do you decide that it's, that it's going to be petroleum geology? Is that right away or is this just, okay? No, it wasn't right away. It was actually, that came in uh, in grad school when I got an internship offer. And so Santa Barbara at the time, we talked about Tanya Atwater and she's a legend, epic. Uh, she wasn't really teaching when I was at the department. Okay. It was dominated by hard rocks. So we had an incredible metamorphic petrologist. Structure was really strong, like igneous petrology. I took an, an entirely separate optical mineralogy along with mineralogy. So wow. two totally separate courses, very strong in those kind of fundamentals. And the soft rocks wasn't really introduced until my last quarter, maybe last two quarters. Okay. It was, it was kind of hard rocks or bust, like soft rocks were like, eh. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. So then me going and of course moving to study soft rocks, I was like, well, I guess I've thrown in the towel on this one, but. Hey, it's going to be fun. I get to use a microscope. What year was this? What year? Yeah. I was at Santa Barbara between 2008 and 2012. Oh, man. So you're exiting in the apex of oil and gas prices. Aha. Uh -huh. Okay. Some inspiration there, maybe. <laughs> yes. And so, in, yeah, exactly. And it kind of, it took me that way. I, you know, we come back to always need to build a network. And I know we can get into that more later. But 
the reason I picked the grad school I did was because I had a research assistant position, basically number crunching for Jim Bowles, who was a big geochemist um, known for feldspathic basins. He had this great chunk of diatomite in his office that was like as big as my torso and he would throw it at you. Dang. And of course, diatomite weighs nothing. So it's like <laughs> your toes. Yeah. Yeah. Playing with styrofoam. So there's those light rocks again getting thrown in the air. Um, common theme in my life. But so I, I helped Jim prepare a research presentation and did his geochem number crunching and made his poster for an AGU conference. So we went up to San Francisco, presented the data, was fantastic. We had a lot of fun. And we went out to lunch with one of his past uh, students. Uh -huh. And his student is a researcher at the BEG and said, hey, I think you're going to really like it up here. Why don't you apply? Wow. And that's how I went to Texas. UT. What is it? Hook them horns. Is it, it might be uh -oh. this. Oh, it's I don't know. Uh-oh. I'm a bad alumni. I think it's this one. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. I know you're right, actually, because the UTV is Falcons this thing. So. Okay. I might edit that out because people are going to be upset about that. But, okay, so you get in contact with somebody from the BEG. Wow. The glory years of the BEG, putting together the big story of, uh, of all the rocks around them. Wow. Okay, so now you're going into your master's program, UT Austin. 120,000 students or whatever it is, basically the city of Austin are just all students having a good time. Sixth Street, always fun. Weather, ah, you know, I wouldn't live in Austin. Not Nothing against it. I just personally, I'm not going to go to Austin to live. But anyway, master's program. Talk to me about that. What was it that locked you in? And was it immediately you're going to be petrology and you're going oil and gas with everything you do or you had options when you showed up? I had options. So I got in there and I locked it in because it was between Colorado School of Mines and University of Texas at Austin. And going back to, I didn't really understand about that student debt thing from undergrad. I got an offer for funding from UT Austin. So I said, I'm going to do that one. So that's what locked it in. And, and there were opportunities along the way. So I was able to get in with one of the different consortium groups. And for me, it wasn't as much caring about the type of rocks I was studying, as long as I was able to do geology, work the science, get involved with teaching and outreach, whether that's to other industry folks or to other students, which I did both. But I was able to do geochemistry, biostratigraphy, core description, outcrop description, all for one project. So how could I say no? Wow, so much rock. Yeah, so many different locations that... BEG is definitely an incredible resource of data. No question about that. No question about that. Very cool. So did it take two years, three years? How long did it take to get your master's? Uh, about three. It's I started working in February of 2015, which was a very different environment from my internship in the summer of 2013. Ooh, yeah, that's when we start sliding down the big hill on um, pricing. Yes. Was that with Oxy right away? Yes. Oh, wow. You've been with Oxy since when? I interned in 2013. So. Wow. Interned again in 2014 and then got the, are you just 2013 and went into after? I started in 2015. Yeah. So my, uh, you know, as things do with 
graduate degrees took longer than expected. So I was supposed to start in September of 14, but I was still writing away and editing. So moved it to 2015. Wow, but still got in, even though we were making that epic slide into 2016 and, and kind of a new face of the industry. I got in at 2014, $97 oil when I was hired in uh, in Midland. And wow, that was crazy. I mean, you're just driving down the street. Everybody's happy. <laughs> What's going on? <laughs> There's nothing you could do wrong. And then, man, a year later, it's like, what the this is weird. You had all these flares, you know, every night you can go out to like the 191 in Midland and just see like an artificial daylight out in the desert. And then 2015, those were all shut in. It was like, man, it was such an experience going through that slide. Cause I came in right when it was climbing and then it slid down similar to you. And, and the, but that was in Houston. Mm -hmm. And it's huge to see that difference because you come into oil industry from wherever, especially if we've been in school, right? I worked at Universal Studios. I'd been a character at an indoor playground. I've been a bartender. I've done a lot of different weird jobs that have helped get me into this career of working corporate. And you're in Houston though. So that's a, that's interesting. That's a huge city. I mean, blows me away every time I'm there. And, uh, and so much money came in after 2009, that whole financial, what would you call that? Remobilization, if you will. And a lot of money goes into the Permian and into the off onshore uh, because of the big epic spill offshore. It turned everybody's focus back onshore. And there was just so much money and opportunity in, in what was developing, which was the unconventional play. So you're coming through this classic idea. You're looking at these vertical wells out in California and the Santa Clarita Mountains. And then, bang, wait a minute. No, no, no. We're not drilling into that stuff anymore. We're drilling into these black shales. And we're going to unlock more hydrocarbon in these things than we ever thought was even there. Exactly. So I put myself in a lucky spot with that because I studied with the Mudrocks group. So I came in and I was like, you want mud? I got mud. I'll tell you anything you want to know about the mud. <laughs> wow. Well, that's that. That was incredibly unique. You had an opportunity to learn that stuff, and and then all of a sudden, this big switch is going. Yeah, that's exactly what we're focusing on. What do you know about it? Oh, put me to work. Let me show you what I can do. And you got to do that with Oxy. Was that immediately in the Permian Basin, and you stayed there? Did you go Anadarko? Did you go around the world? So I've been mostly Permian focused. I started in exploration for the first kind of year of my career. I got to work a couple frontier plays, look at some major stratigraphic intervals, um, deeper things than Permian age. But uh, from then I moved into Permian and development side and worked New Mexico for four or five years. Right on. So doing all those good old bone spring things. Yep. Lots of fun, lots of learning. I took my first core, which is fantastic. Right on. You were out there on the rig while that thing was spinning. Oh. That's the only place to be. Wow. You know, $100,000 a day is about what it takes to get out there with those freaking huge rigs and that whole crew, and you're running the whole thing, and a geologist is on the program. And everybody knows that you're the guy coming from the, the operator, and, and bang, you're in there, and you're trying to just say, listen, we just got to make this work at the end of the day. I want you to be good. You're you're energized. You know, did you get enough eat? You know, I'm going to go get you a burrito. What do we need to do? Make sure that we get this core out of the ground. And you got $100,000 a day 
and you're saying, no, this is core point. This is how much we want to go. When are we calling it? That's the first question. All right, we got the core guys here. When are we calling this freaking operation? Because we need to get back to stabilizing this freaking hole. I mean, the drillers do, in my experience, we're just like, uh-uh. This core is nothing but a problem. And we need to get back to stabilizing this hole and make sure we don't lose this freaking thing. Was that a similar experience in, in New Mexico and you're chasing the bone spring and you're trying to get 400 feet of continuous core? I mean, I've definitely run into things like that. The, the drillers are going to get it done. They're going to get it faster, more efficient. They are about those metrics. And I'm like, the slower you go, the better data I'm going to get. I know it's going to cost money, but I can't do my job if you mess this up. So let's be on the same team. I made you a cake. So. <laughs> right on. That's right. That's spot on. That's really cool. Really cool. So there's some good wells coming out of uh, out of New Mexico. No question about it. There's definitely some uh, very interesting results recently and uh, high oil saturations in this whole BOE thing that we switched to and this years we're talking about. It was all about oil and now it's you calculate BOE. But high oil yield and, and there's definitely some good numbers coming out of that stuff. So people are, are starting to unlock, I think, and I believe we're going to see a major change. And I, see, I believe we're going to see a, an incredible increase in our ability to make better wells at each individual well. As the, at the same time, unfortunately, Wall Street has completely given up on us, in my opinion, as they just, everybody you talk to is like, oh, it's a parent-child problem. Oh, what does that mean? Parent-child problem. Yeah. We, <laughs> we don't really know. But at the end of the day, I think we are eventually going to see this trend that we are going to get way better eventually if we can just keep focused get good money after good projects, get the people that are really focusing on the geochemistry, the brines, you know, that's a major, major development. Yeah, I, I think it's huge. I think it's getting there. And I think there's been a lot of good knowledge coming out. And there's those great conferences, there's Ertech, SPE, AAPG, everybody's coming forward, sharing their knowledge. And we're trying to get someplace where we can do this right and better for everyone. Right. Because at the end of the day, everyone's trying to make some money. That's right. That's right. That's exactly right. Well, that's exciting. So you you get into a uh, what an amazing opportunity that you had. It was a smooth transition. So you didn't have a lot of stress in like, wait a minute, I got to take whatever I can get, which has been a lot of people's stories in the last few years was, man, you did an amazing job on that thesis, but there's no one hiring for that right now. And they got to go mudlogging. They got to go whatever it was to stay around. And then bang, the, you know, this historic crash happens on top of that. I mean, we've unfortunately, and this could be a transition unless you want it more on the young professional and, and the conception part of the show. But this idea that geoscientists today are needed more than ever. And at the same time, amongst the uh, just that globally we are losing confidence in science we're losing the respect as scientists so there's this major weird transition trying to happen that uh the science is done engineering is all we need we need to optimize everything and it's like what you're no. what are you, you're parking the only thing that kind of makes sense anymore like you're, you're trying to optimize something that's not understood like, hold on. We need these scientists more than ever. We need geoscientists more than ever. And and I think that's a transition to the to drill down, unless you have anything to add. 
Nothing. You want to end it with a question in conception show with a trivia question, and then we'll get into the drill down. What do you think? Oh, I, okay. You, let me think. <laughs> I have a good one. It's like, do you want like a shitty quick trivia question or do you want to get like one of my like fully well-written ones? I, I don't know. I don't know. I, don't, don't get me too much up against the wall here, but I'll take, I'll take whatever you got. We'll transition here. All right. Let's do. Okay. So I did a category. Actually, I'll just do the question I asked you earlier. I want you to guess my favorite fracture. Your hints are, this was from our last trivia event that we did for the uh, the student expo, Houston Student Expo this year. And the kind of category was P is for potpourri. I wrote it Jeopardy style, right? So that means the answer is gonna start with a P. So you're thinking of a fracture that starts with a P. Yep. It doesn't uh, sound like it starts with a P. Whoa. Uh, why would that be a fracture? It starts, so you, it doesn't sound like it starts with a P. So you can use it as a word that also describes folding, something that you might see in California, where basically you had maybe lithification or a type of folding that's happening within a fracture. What? Basically, I would see them in mud rocks in a semi-lithified mud rock where you had ductile deformation of that fracture while there was already cement within it. They're gorgeous. They make these little corkscrews and they squiggle around. Tigmatic is what I'm yep. thinking. Is that it? That's it. Wow. I remember that stuff. Tigmatic folding. Whoa. Mm -hmm. The hell? This is happening like as the rock is lithifying? Like what the? I grew up in Palmdale, like I said, and that road cut the 14 blew through there in the 90s or whatever it was and they're like what i mean the construction workers are looking at this outcrop like what am i looking at it looks like a huge eyeball oh yeah <laughs> yeah it's been, it, it got eroded unfortunately with a recent earthquake things crumbled down so the eye is like kind of gone but man i remember that thing so vividly and i was thinking what is going on this is like a weird mud thing that has totally folded all over itself and created this eyeball thing like at depth and then it came up i mean wow that kind of folding is is insane yeah it, it's gorgeous it is so gorgeous the only one of the best exposures i've ever seen of that was in scotland when i was living in glasgow i did a bunch of field work and we were up on the isle of Carra, and there's a beautiful unconformity where you've got these like gnarly folded rocks like pelites, samites, all these gorgeous metamorphosed rocks that are folded. And then on top of it, it's just major like boulders, unconformity, huge like landslide kind of, I don't know, major brecciation deposits wow. on top of the metamorphic rocks. Incredible. Wow. Gosh. I, we missed that part. You went to Scotland for a while? Yeah. yeah. I lived in Scotland for a year. I did a study abroad when I was at Santa Barbara and I said, she who sees the most rocks wins. So I'm going someplace to see some more rocks. Wow. Wow. What an experience. Yeah. Wow. That is so cool. You didn't live on, like on a cruise ship or anything. You went to like some university and hung out for a while and then came back. Yeah. So I, I had originally moved into the dorms and I was like, you know what? This isn't authentic enough for me. I ditched my contract. I basically called and I said, how do I get out of this dorm situation? I, I said, well, 
got to go to a hostel or something. You got to go to like an apartment complex of some kind off, off campus, right? Well, so I could, but they told me no. So they're <laughs> like, you can't leave until someone fills your spot. And I said, all right, well, give me a call. And I remember I'm sitting in a petrology class and my phone's ringing. I was like, this might be the call. So I run out of class, take the phone call. And they're like, hey, we've got someone. It's a Tuesday. Can you be out tomorrow night? I said, hell yeah, I can. I'll be out of that place. So I carried all my shit down from the fourth floor of that <laughs> apartment and moved in with my friend in her bedroom, her like, bedroom. So technically like homeless for a few weeks. Right on. Right. Yeah. A little, yeah, a little homeless in a different country. And then I found a place to rent in a, a nice tenement flat. One of those like several centuries old industrial revolution buildings. What? All right. We're going to do a little plot twist. I'm bringing up Google Earth and you are take, you're diving us in. To say if we can get in front of the Gregory building or the Greg, it was the geology building. If we can pop ourselves down in front of that, you can have a good laugh. They have a great rock sculpture out front. Where, where do you want to drop? Where are we going? Where's the place? Okay, now turn around. What the heck? Super cool, man. Let's get that rock sculpture. You're going to love it. <laughs> Let's go. This is the geology building? That's the geology building. That's the Greg. Wow. So it's a rite of passage. You have to pass through the, uh, the this... rock. To, yeah. I called it a fanny. What is this rock made out of? I don't know. <laughs> Leave right. The heck is that? Wow. Cool. Okay. Yeah. So, a little tour of Germany. I don't know. That was a little bit of a plot twist. Scotland. Uh, Scotland. Uh, and now we're going into the drill down section of this show. Yes. Which is a, ultimately about getting back into the idea that we got to get inspired kids and young professionals about geoscience about science in general and the fact that we can't give up on this stuff we can't give up on the subject we got to respect it and we got to challenge our curiosity and intellectual limits and and motivate people to do that i think we're on the same page there totally agree i think you know starting at a young age so it's like whether they're kids whether you're in high school whether you're college students that are changing your major because you learn about the earth getting excited getting inspired and taking action is so important. So it was actually, I was realizing this is the first year in maybe five years, I haven't done the Natural History Museum outreach. I usually set up a table. There's a, a Women in Science Week, I think, and just the, uh, is it not Earth, Earth Science Week? I think it was like last week. Um, we can double check that. But uh, I usually like lead a booth there and it's for small children and I'll do pet rocks. Uh, and they get to decorate the pet rocks, put on the googly eyes, do the fun stuff. And they're usually just nice little well-rounded cobblestones, but it gets them playing hands-on with rocks early on. And I also, because it's an aside agenda, I also foster animals. And so I make them fill out an adoption certificate for their rock and ask them to name it. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I like that. I like that. Getting an emotional connection to the rock. The day the science is out there that it is strongly suggested that we came from a combination of water and rocks and that's where life came from scientifically when you dive into that you talk about the olivine how that actually happens serpentinization and the whole thing the details but at the end of the day we have a natural connection 
to the physical world and we got to inspire the kids that that is true and that is a great feeling and it's way better than the instant gratification feeling that they're getting from their tablets or their phones or baby shark all right why is baby shark even a thing not to get totally sideways here but baby shark we got kids going daddy shark do 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 and they're gonna go out in the oceans and be like oh we're just with the sharks and they just want to hang out with us that's totally effed up these kids are in danger because of this song don't be scared of your natural predators befriend them <laughs> I'm out on that, but I'm totally in on the fact that, man, you know what? You can't take away the fact that every kid will grab a handful of rocks and they'll put it in their mouth and they'll try to chew on them. It's, there's something about the smell of the earth and the rain and this, this, this connection to the physical world is real. It's real and we got to take advantage of that the second they feel it. Absolutely. And that's what getting the kids hands on at a young age is all about. I did. We came up with an experiment for petroleum geology because that's what I'm doing now. And we did a Play-Doh cross section of a fault bend fold. And we pick a color of Play-Doh that we want to exhibit oil. And we, I order a bunch of boba straws. So it's like thick diameter straws. And then they get to take a core. And so I'm like, this is like rocks in the earth. Take a core. Also note it's 3 a.m. and probably raining. But keep going. <laughs> Everybody's pissed. <laughs> wow. You should get paid for these ideas. You're taking boba straws. You're coring Play-Doh and trying to help these kids understand where to drill wells or where these resources are building up and why. I just I, I love this idea. This is so yeah. cool. It's super fun. And it's great to see the kids be engaged and get excited about something that, you know, certain of certain kids, it's just about touching the rock. It's those sensory components of getting engaged with the earth again and not with just electronics right. versus in, you know, the, the ones who are interested in taking the core. Those kids are a little bit more engaged. I can do a little bit more of that storytelling. And that's what we have to do as earth scientists is we have to tell the story of the earth in a way that you know, the common, common people are going to understand a non-scientist should be able to comprehend the earth because they live here too. That's exactly so right. Spot on the language of the planet, not our language, not your language, the language of the rocks, the language of chemistry, the language of mathematics. It's what's telling us what's going on. That's the story. Then we re-articulate it in the ways that we want to and do our hand-waving geo, uh, whatever you want to call it, geos yoga or whatever we do as geoscientists trying to figure out what's really going on. But that's spot on. I love that, that you're, that that's how you go about that. That's yeah. That's so I started it there and then, you know, flashing back to when I was in grad school, I was a teaching assistant for the intergeology lab and that was fantastic. I love it. So it's, it was second semester. So it was all non-majors. People are just like, got to get my science credit. Hate being here, but I'm going to get it done. I'm going to do business degree. Yeah, exactly. Just needed to tick a box. And so, you know, I would go in there and I would give them the lectures and I always would relate it to food. And I had, you know, I was like, any concept I can talk about in rocks, I can use big terms. I can make you feel outcast because you have no idea what I'm talking about. But that's not going to help you. So we're going to talk about something you do know about, and that's food. Right. So I, half the class was talking about food as analogs or as analogies yeah. for different things that rocks do. Like in the form of classification, like this is a vegetable, this is a fruit, 
that's going to be okay. How did you use fruit or how did you use food? What'd you do there? It's more of like a processing standpoint. So what I can think of off the top of my head was I was talking about plate tectonics with, and this was a family member, and I was talking about how it's not just a slick line. Like I can say, yeah, California is moving past the Pacific Ocean or, you know, North America and the Pacific Ocean are moving past each other. And yes, my hands just slide back and forth. I'm like, it's not that easy. I'm like, go take a slice of pizza. Yeah, you can do that little rolly thing across it and cut it once, but pull that gooey cheese pizza apart and watch what happens to the cheese. It doesn't just come apart. It doesn't just break evenly and easily. It starts tearing. It starts morphing the cheese from the other piece. You start pulling a pepperoni from the other side of the pizza. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I hate those people. You know, I figured out what the little thing in the middle does. It's got three legs in the pizza, in the center of the pizza. What's it for? It's so you can break a pizza without touching it. You use that to hold one of the pizzas and you pull the other one. I just thought it was extra plastic trash. <laughs> no, that's a tool. That is a tool. And uh, so the natural world doesn't have a tool like that, right? So you're saying pull this pizza without holding the other and see what happens when you start pulling the rest of the stuff with it. And you're, I mean, that's, that's cool. That's, that's getting it going, getting it in exactly. motion. And, and I can give an example in California, like Mugu Rock, those fracture orientations are all twisted and crazy. It's because that thing rotated its way on up the coast from San Diego up to near Santa Barbara. And same with a lot of the Santa Barbara rocks, some of the like the Channel Islands, all that stuff, it relates back to San Diego area. And it's just been ripped and twisted and pushed its way up along as the fault has moved. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, there's some rocks offshore California that are popping up in Arizona and popping up in, in the continents too. this big thrust that's happening completely up under the Western United States. I mean, that whole story is just absolutely amazing. I mean, California, the United States, Western United States, just so fascinating when you tie it all together and you let people just get after it and go and attack these things and put it in perspective, modern geologic context and modern new ideas. That's what's so exciting. You know, we, we have so many people around us as scientists, I'm saying, and personally, you have so many people around you during your <laughs> your progression through school and young career and all that stuff that don't really understand it, right? They're just kind of like, oh, it's cool. You like rocks. And you're going, well, the fundamentals of how our country runs and how the world runs is based on natural resources, based on managing those natural resources. And to take it even further, it's definitely based on people making the right prediction about where it's going to be, why it's going to be there, and how economic it's going to be for our cities to progress and for our people around us to have some kind of business to take and run with ideas. Like we're, in my opinion, the, the, the we're the foundation for all those other things to flourish from. That's such an important thing to get across to these kids. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And it's understanding where your resources come from. Where's your electricity come from? You know, why, why do we have plastics? Why do we have, you know, wires, metal wires? People don't understand the, the need for mining and the need for petroleum-based products and why and how those things got to where they are, why certain countries are so rich in maybe rare earth elements. And the geopolitics that pulls into that is massive. And I think, I think there's a lot of work to still be done on that and to wow. understand a little bit better because I don't think it's well understood by politicians, right. really. Or That's even scientists. 
Exactly. And so there's this huge disconnect between business and science and business is like, oh, that money makes the world go around. What are you talking about? No, no, no. Serpentinization makes the world go around. Let's talk about it. Uh, and they don't get it. They don't. And they just go, wait a minute. Tell me, okay, you can find oil and gas. You got this big anticline. Okay, how many wells can we drill? How, the business is moving light years ahead. It's it's like it's like a it's like light speed versus sound or something. It's just it doesn't really correlate well. It doesn't work well together. Business is always kind of on another level than what we actually understand. I think, and I said this many times, I think COVID is really allowing us an opportunity to sit back and say, hey, you can't keep moving business ahead on bad ideas. It's not working. You got to start understanding the fundamentals again. And that's giving us an opportunity to inspire the next generation to get better than we are. And then and, and, and allow us to communicate this to around the world, across all borders and in every language, language of the earth. The natural processes and natural resources, we got to exploit that. Yep, I, I am all on board with that. I agree. We have to be able to do it responsibly and be able to get those products to people so that they can use them effectively. Good. And the knowledge is so important in that. And I don't know, it's just, it's really crazy to see how many people don't understand where those different components come from. You know, I when I go home to California, when people ask, oh, I haven't seen you in 10 years. What do you do now? I usually say I'm a corporate geologist. Oh, that's good. Probably at least goes, oh, that's interesting. Corporate. Uh, what are you, mm -hmm. Geologist thing's all about. <laughs> corporate, I'm yeah. following. Then what do you say? Yeah. I say, and they say, what do you do? And I say, I make maps. Right and on. I, so you leave it that way, but you have to pick your battles. It can be a great opportunity for education. Um, I've got a relative who he's he's a huge outdoors guy, big Sierra Club kind of guy, like not into oil and gas at all, but he trusts me. And he said, okay, I want to ask you about fracking. Mm -hmm. What are the dangers? Let's actually talk about it. Can you tell me in real terms with geology and science and why do we need to care and why why does oil industry matter so much? Mm. And you know, it, you got your electric vehicle, and you're like, I don't need oil anymore. I drive an electric. But the, the general population doesn't see everything else that's needed. I mean, every every soda can, brand excluded, every metal can that you have actually has a layer on the inside of some sort of, albeit plastic, coating to make sure that your carbonated beverage or your potentially corrosive is probably the wrong term, like alcohol that'll eat things to pieces, make sure it's coated so that you're not having degradation of that metal can into your booze. Wow. <laughs> wow. I didn't even know that. Yeah. That's, that's really, really good point. Really good point. There's, there's this need for education and, you, and we're going to get that in the completion part of the show. Cause you are going that direction. Uh, with the profession and being a professor and being an, a teacher just at the end of the day. What do you do? I teach people. What? Teach me. I love being taught. I love learning new things. Everybody says that. Everybody with a brain says, I love learning new things. I love that. You're a teacher. What are you teaching? Let's start with the fundamentals of you know understanding petroleum. The fact that we have electrical vehicles because it's built on the industry of oil and gas and hydrocarbon uh, power. The only reason we have that concept is because of where it came from. How do you not respect history just fundamentally that that has a place 
it has a right to be there. Not because now all of a sudden we have this idea that, no, we shouldn't have done that this whole time. No, it has its right. And we need to talk about those and, and, and learn from that, right? Hydrocarbon generation on this planet. How does it actually work? What's something going on? We don't need to make these drastic decisions to get away from that right now. What are we talking about? Relax. Let's talk about it all and let's create a new future that's got a road wide enough for all. Keep large objects off the road. Let's get this thing together. Let's integrate, innovate, and get ready. Go to the next level. It's, it, there's knee-jerk reactions happening right now, and it's just not good. It's not motivational. It's, it's destructive. What's going on? Let's talk about it in modern context. And, and be adults about it. Let's not shut someone out when you're debating because you don't want to hear what they have to say or you don't respect them. Stop it. It's, it's too much. We're tired. We need to communicate. And that's, I think that's actually, that's a great point. The communication is crucial. And one of the reasons I've jumped to saying, you know, I, I test the water. That's, you got to know your audience, right? And so when I'm in California, when I know my audience, I work in oil and gas. I'm a geologist for an oil and gas company. Totally an answer I'm willing to say when I'm with the right audience, but I've done that in the wrong audience. I, I learned my lesson and I said, oh, I, I'm a geologist. And they're like, what do you do? I work for an oil company. They're like, dropped their fork. So you're the enemy. You what? are the enemy now. Oh, and I was like, gosh. <laughs> yeah. Oh. And that, there's an education issue. We drove to dinner in their SUV. We're... We're drinking out of plastic cups, but it goes back to learning and understanding and not wanting to make it like a, a zero to 100, a, a one side versus the other side. There's the science behind it. So we need to be able to talk about that and teach the science to everyone. Where are you focusing? Uh, so drill down segment, let's end it with, where do you think your experience, your perspective, where can we unite as a scientific community that we can focus on a specific group of individuals today that can have the greatest impact for our future? Is it kindergarten? Is it high, high school, middle school? Is it college? Where should we focus on communicating this now in order to have the best and most you know, efficient impact? I think that impact is going to take time. I think you need to start younger and earlier because there's an unfortunate trend for people once they hit a middle age that they don't want to learn anymore. And I don't think anyone should stop learning ever or, or not be open to different views. You should always be able to talk about it, but that's not the popular trend, whether it's science or politics or anything, really. You don't want to have that debate. You don't want to have a discussion. They get heated and they shut down rather than being able to learn. So I think starting earlier about how to have discussions, how to have correct styles of disagreement and having to learn earth science the way it is. And, you know, I took an earth science class in high school and we talked about radium dial and bikini atoll and kind of radiation stuff, but it was never what comes from the earth. How do we use the earth? What are these different resources? What does it mean to have a battery in my phone? How does the electricity get to my house? The yeah. fact that a gas power plant or you know, those don't happen. And I, it's like having a home ec class or like a cooking class or something. I think understanding the earth and the environment should be paramount and it should be required wow. in, in early education. Yep. Yep. It totally makes sense. It totally makes sense. Linguistics, obviously you got to know how to talk and communicate. That's a big part of, of it, but history and then earth science, where does gas come from? The gas station. No, 
wrong. We got more to talk about. That's interesting. That's very, very interesting. I love that. I love that. That's so. What are you doing? What are you doing as a professional to to be on that, be involved in that? How are you doing that? So, as far as getting more involved in that, you know, I'm not working with kind of high school or young kids much. Um, I usually focus my efforts on undergrad to graduate, where I can. I get involved with things like the Houston Student Expo. I help do resume reviews. I'll help with any kind of recruitment events just as a professional people can chat with because I really want geoscience students to know the wealth of opportunities that they have because mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of legacy and there's a lot of kind of hype about going into oil and gas, which is cool. Petroleum is fun. It's exciting. You get to test your, your hypotheses and see if you're right. You know, it, you get to do a lot of really interesting and exciting things, but there are plenty of other opportunities for getting involved with earth sciences and geology that people should know about. Like you can have a regulatory desk job mm -hmm. or maybe someone's a little bit more bureaucratic in nature. They don't want to have to go sit on the rig at 3 a.m. while they're taking a core. They want something that's a little more regular schedule. Um, you can get into environmental which is a little remediation. There are jobs in mining, which are super cool. I've got a buddy who does mining in Nevada and I know he's enjoyed it and had a lot of fun looking for gold. He's a gold prospector. <laughs> I, I sw I'm sw I've switched in this last year to a focus on oil and gas for the last five, six years to trying to understand this mining exploration, these metals, what's going on? There's all these new targets. It's just very, very exciting. It's not just gold, copper, silver. There is all kinds of different targets and the geology that makes that economic deposit. When you're thinking about it as a, a company that needs to go there and mine it out and it needs to be economic, that mapping and geology is unbelievable. I just... I love it. I love it. It's it's just ge geology at its core, essentially. It's, it's so much fun that there. And you're right. There's so much opportunity. So that's cool. You're working with excited undergraduates, graduates. So they they've made their choice at that point. There's not really much going back, and they need to make something of it. And you're giving them that opportunity to think about you know what they can make of it. That's cool. Exactly, and just understanding that there are different opportunities for different directions. So I've I really enjoy getting involved with that and making sure that they know geoscience and earth science and teaching and discussion is an, an important part of it, and being able to communicate those ideas in a way that any person can understand. All right, one more trivia. Let's do it. We're going to do a trivia, and then we're going to completion part of the show. Okay. Um. Do you like vocab trivia? Uh, just hit me with whatever you, whatever you want to t start with. I'll, I'll I'll go with it. That's all. I, I, okay, so we were just doing a fluvial, uh, deltaic, modern classics field trip, and so I didn't include. This was in a trivia that the Houston Geologic Society's Neo Geos did a few months back prior to COVID, uh, because I was studying fluvial systems so much. So I basically was asking for. That really fun center line, when I say center line, it's generally off center around the bend on a meander belt where it's the deepest point in the channel. Oh, it's like an incised valley thing going on with the deepest part of the channel. Mm -hmm. what it's a terrible word. It's quite ugly. It's two syllables. Is it a, it's not a crevasse. Uh-uh, it starts with a T. A T. I don't have good, I don't have any good, usually I get my hints, I'll go and find booze, 
different wines with the symbol on the label or different beers like breweries that are named after things like a channel or the meander belt brewery i don't know if that's real i'm making things up but something like that and so i research it and so i make my hints using things that people will find common but will give them the geologic answer what the heck is that i'm out oh so that one's a thalweg a thalweg yeah it's a horrible word uh do you need to take a break before we hit completion and just talk about kind of where you want to go with your career and and uh and becoming a professor and where do you see academia and all that stuff do you want to just jump right into it you need to take a break I think we can just jump right in. I'll take a sip of my like fizzy water and then. Okay. Miss Katie Fry, we have come to the completion segment of the PBE podcast and it has been absolutely fun. You have a great personality. Your perspective is awesome. Your experience is very unique and you're providing a lot of things for young professionals. And I think for a lot of people just to hear this show, I mean, it's such a cool entertaining time that we've been spending together. And, uh, and now we're in the completion part and you talked about how you wanted to become a professor. You talked about how, what you are focusing on maybe, and, and this completion idea that what's going on in the future. So doctor us up, what's your plan? All right. So I don't have a doctorate, so I've got a couple ways I might be able to get around it, but I, I really think I've gotten so passionate about teaching and it's always been like that ever since I started studying geology was you know teaching my sister about earth sciences so much so that she wanted to study geology turns out she didn't like it uh, but she it was this contagious passion that she was so excited she wanted to do it too and learn about the world she at least completed the degree she understands the rocks wow. but it, it's not her her jam um and so I loved teaching and when I was at UT and I was doing a, my TA work, you know, I just thought it was part of the program, but I remember one of my students came to me and they were like, I hate geology. And I said, that's okay. That's fine. It probably doesn't like you either. And, <laughs> yeah, and he, right. I was like, it's okay. It doesn't, it doesn't have to like you. You don't have to like it. That's not a problem. But then he said, but I enjoy that you teach it and it's fun because you have so much fun teaching it. And I used to hold 10 plus hours of office hours every week. Wow. Whereas every other TA, I think there were four of us, uh, there were a ton of labs. It was a huge class. UT is huge. Yeah. Um, you know, they all canceled theirs because they didn't have any students. I had anywhere from two to 15 students at my office hours every week just because I wanted to talk about it. Like, I don't want to study geology. Maybe I do want to study geology, but I just want to learn more about earth and I want to learn more about the science and about the world around us right on. and so it was really inspiring doing that and so I've gotten you know into the corporate ladder into the career this way and I've, I've learned a ton it's been a really fulfilling and great experience but one of the things I've gotten you know I've been lucky enough to be able to be involved with is teaching short field trips I get to teach core workshops um, I've done call it rocks for everyone basically an intro to rocks for, I teach it for mostly facilities engineers and they're so fantastic to teach because they don't know, they don't know anything about it. So they come in open, ready to learn. I got one guy to lick a rock one time. Yes. Right on. So that's really become like the exciting part of it for me. Like the job is great and I still love it. And I've got so much I need to learn still. So me professoring, that's a while down the line. But at some point, I think that would be my goal if I can continue to teach, continue to help with outreach, continue to educate 
both children, you know, from anywhere from toddlers up to people who are older than me, if I can teach them about the earth, that's, that's a good day for me. Yep. That's it. It's, it's interesting listening to that and, and kind of getting to know you over this past hour, hour and a half, I guess it's been, uh, because, you know, a lot of people can, can easily say, I want to teach because at the end of the day, I want to make a living and other inspiration to do that. I don't think, and I think you just proved it in what you were just talking about. I don't think there is a huge population of teachers and geoscience teachers that actually somehow you're putting out this chemistry or you're putting out this vibe to these students and they're coming to your office hours to just listen to you more, to just talk to you more. You are, there's something different about that. And I think a lot of other people that want to teach and that is, you can't learn that you have that. And I, I think I'm confident enough to say in this conversation, you absolutely have that. It's, it's, you have an infectious personality. And at the same time, you have this really cool way of just articulating and going from subject to subject or comment to comment. It's very natural. It's very real. And that's, I think, what's potentially missing in academia. Not to go and get kind of negative about the whole thing, but academia is really struggling. And academia is trying to figure out what are we doing to get people to come to school? Come get your undergraduate degree and your graduate degree after being in high school. Don't just go to work. Come to the, the academia. And they're going, at this point, I'm not seeing much value. I'm going to give you a bunch of money and you're going to tell me I'm getting a job and I'm going to get all this experience or whatever and it's going to tee me up for a great career. But when you look at the statistics, I'm not seeing it and people aren't dumb. Kids are not dumb. They're going, I don't see me investing $60,000 into an undergraduate degree at the bigger programs and and that's going to pay that's going to give me a return on my investment. But when you have someone like you and you have somebody that's actually there with them and you're opening up your hours and you're expanding your hours to talk to them, I think that's where academia needs to focus. We don't need a community college on every corner. We need quality today and we need quality in our future. We don't need to just flood a business of academia. Yeah, and I agree. And it's hard. It's yeah, I don't we don't want to talk bad about academia. There's great resources there, but so many of those researchers are there to research and they're not necessarily there to teach. So the experience those students have for 20, 40, 60, 100 grand, that's they're not learning and they're not being excited by the things that they're trying to learn. And so I think it's so important to get people who are excited about those sciences and excited about those different topics in to help teach. Hey, I don't I don't need to do the research. You don't need to give me the research or salary. I want to make these kids have the best investment they can, that they can learn, they can enjoy it, and it, it can make the world better for them because they know more. And I, th I think it's so crucial. And, it, you know, we're not there yet, but hopefully we can keep getting more people who are excited about teaching and sharing and keep making earth science a better part of the curriculum. Yeah. No, that's uh, – here's my – advice if i have any just off this conversation really but i'm i got some other things that are motivating me to say this if you are choosing a school and that school does not have a geology program get away from that school 
That school needs to realize that the only way we progress from where we're at, which is this very, st- is your sister, is she here? My dog snuck upstairs. She just came uh, to say hi. <laughs> all right. What's up, pups? It might uh, mean my sister's getting close, though, because if Jura woke up, she's named after a scotch. That means Olivia might be home. Ah, okay. He or she? He, she? She. She's feeling the, the energy is getting close. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think that's without question. I say this with 100% confidence. If you are choosing an undergraduate program or a graduate program, and it doesn't matter what degree you are getting, arts, business, science, if they do not have a geology program, I believe they do not have a strong future. Geology is progressing so fast right now, and there's all these new ideas and all this motivation coming out of new geology ideas that are gonna inspire all those other programs to actually do something new. If everybody's just recreating the wheel, there's it's competition everywhere, and there's no opportunity. It's dog-eat-dog world. You need to go to an undergraduate program or a graduate program that has something new and is is filtering that and and bringing people up through that and they need to have a geology degree or a geology program that's all i'm gonna say i i agree with you i think i think people need to know about the rocks hey i'll be there you call me in i'll come teach the rock class for people and be like this is why the earth matters i'm gonna get you excited about we're gonna talk about pudding most days but you'll be excited about rocks by the end of the course because you learned about pudding <laughs> Oh, man. Well, that's exciting. I mean, I think t- today is such a, a, a weird time, just to call it like I sees it. Uh, we, we should be doing podcasts in person. We shouldn't be doing dealing with how we're dealing with all this stuff. But it feels like there's a major reorganization and people are really taking a step back and thinking about how are we managing this situation and creating value, not just BSing around with with weird business and screwing people over and all that nonsense. What is where's the value? What we need to generate money. We got a financial crisis on our hands and that's across all borders and in every country. We, We need to create value. That's our focus. Yep. How to, how to get the most value and how to do it safely and how to do it so that people can be, you know, personally successful, make the whole world successful. You know, how can we do it the right way and get it done? Yeah. Right on. Right on. Well, I guess your sister didn't make the show. She's right there. She just walked in. She's in. Cameo. Yep. Hey, Olivia. Hello. What's happening, man? You guys look so Hello. <laughs> Yeah, we get that a lot. Wow. And so you got a geology degree. I did, yeah. That's awesome. What was your favorite thing about geology? Mineralogy. I really liked um, petrography and looking at the thin sections and actually just seeing, really it was just the colors and seeing the way that different minerals would change the way you looked at them regardless of what they were. And I thought that was really neat. Right on. So you're a scoper. Spin yeah. the stage and make your prediction or make your determination of what mineral you're looking at or whatever it is. Right on. And she was saying mm-hmm. you've now picked up a, a job at a uh, a cider. Yeah, yeah. So I've kind of bounced around. I realized I did some geology work, realized it wasn't really my jam, wasn't my thing that made me super happy or as passionate as the way it makes Katie feel. Um, but yeah, so now I work at Houston Cider Company and it's really cool. We make, it's 
bunch of different small batches. Today was actually a really big production day. Um, very limited ingredients, no added sugars, all fresh fruits and juices. So yeah. it's it's really cool. That's, it sounds really fascinating. So you got a chemist that you work with and a geologist. Yep. <laughs> you guys that run this thing? Yeah. Pretty, yeah. Wow. All right. Where do you get your apples from? Where do we get our apples from? It's kind of a variety of places, but mostly the Pacific Northwest. Okay. Um, but we can take, so we don't press our own apples. We don't make our own juice. We have certain um, qualifications. It has to have a certain pH, a certain acidity level, um, certain amount of tannins in them, which is part of the apple. And I mean, you find a lot of them in wine. It kind of dries out your mouth. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so we do. Like a deep, sorry, what? deep red wines will just like yeah exactly so yeah we kind of we can get them anywhere as long as they match our qualifications match our requirements wow mm -hmm. very interesting the ph and all that chemist that chemist guy from colorado school class <laughs> like i'm into yeah that. he knows a lot he'll keep talking about things i'm still fairly new at this where i'm he'll give me the recipe he'll give me the ingredients and say okay make this and i say sure Okay, I can do that. You're just mixing things up. You got this like these big <laughs> tanks of different juices and temperatures and you're mixing them and pretty much a lot of the time we do a bunch of different small batches. Um, every week we release a new a new cider that we've made. And what? so yeah, yeah, which is pretty cool. And I had not I don't know many places that actually release nearly as many ciders as we have. Wow. So is it, is it possible to do a cider tasting podcast with the owners of this company and you and Katie? Let's oh, do it. Totally. Yeah. PBE will, uh, will somehow purchase a, a big sleeve or whatever you want to call them of, of the different ones you have in stock and mm -hmm. we'll get them and then you'll get them and we'll just, we'll go cider by cider and I'm going to get the, uh, you know, all the little flavors and make mm -hmm. Well, I would love to do that. I think that would be really cool. I think it's a very unique business idea. I, I have not heard. It's like a bar, but it's just ciders. Yeah. So it's exactly what you would expect from a beer garden or places that sell beer, except we do only cider instead of beer. Oh, wow. And we do have wine. We buy from a distributor. We have that if people aren't interested in other non-alcoholic beverages. But for the most part, it's all cider. Wow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, that, I think that would be really, really fun. I don't know. Just to ask them. And one of them, I'll just say, Hey, you know, we can tie in soil chemistry and like, mm -hmm. where, you know, maybe that soil's coming from or whatever. I think that would be kind of cool. A little twist to that. Um, I'm down if you're down. Oh, definitely. We can set something up. Katie has your information. We'll, we'll make this happen. <laughs> Right on. Yeah, we'd love to do a show about that and advice. We have a huge population. I wouldn't say huge, but our following majority of them is Houston because it's an oil and gas podcast. And so like when, hmm. when you look at the analytics, definitely a lot of folks in the Houston area that are you know following and, and like what we do. So I think it would be a great fit. Yeah, that would be awesome. Uh, it's really great. I know that so one of the owners, Justin, he is the chemist and head cider maker. Um, the head he, cider maker. I love that. 
<laughs> yeah. Uh, he has done a couple of podcasts with, I think, I believe his name is John Stewart. It's the Inner Brews um, mm. podcast and where it's a guy, he's local in Houston and he goes around to different breweries, different yeah. places that cool. are generally Texas local. And so I know Justin's done that, but it would be really interesting to get a geologist spin on it. Yeah. I think that would be super neat. Right on. I'm totally up for that. Totally yeah. game. For that. I think it would be fun. I think it would make a great show and just let us know. We'll, we're here. Definitely. So. We'll, we'll set something up and we'll, we'll keep you informed. Right on. Well, it's good meeting you. It was great to meet you too. I will pass you back to Katie. <laughs> yeah. We'll say bye to Katie. All right, we're going to program this down, edit it, blah, blah, blah. I'll send it to you as soon as possible, and we will get it out on our show. And and uh, I really appreciate it, Katie. Yeah, great. Thanks. Sounds good. It's fun. I had a great time. We got the cameo from Olivia with Houston right. Cider Company. <laughs> All right. That was awesome. All right. We'll, we'll talk soon. All right. Yeah, we'll talk soon and uh, until we meet again. See ya. See ya.